Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental and societal incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. The demands range from removal of crosses at national monuments honoring war dead, punishing those who openly pray on athletic fields, to demanding that Christian business people participate in gay marriage ceremonies regardless of religious sensitivities. The most far-reaching and ominous development to date was the United States Supreme Court's ruling in the Obergefell decision in June of last year that recognized the constitutionality of same-sex marriage. In response to a direct question, the Solicitor General of the United States stated that the tax-exempt status of some religious institutions could be called into question. Increasingly, there are calls for churches to, quote, pay their fair share or to stop subsidizing religion. From the nation's founding, religious institutions have been tax-exempt. The reasons range from services provided to communities by churches that government either cannot or will not provide, to freeing religious institutions from governmental control via taxation, as European rulers did in the past and are doing in the present. The recent scandal involving the IRS targeting conservative, pro-life, and religious organizations requesting tax-exempt status shows hostility to people of faith on a federal level. On the state and local levels, there are houses of worship attacked through zoning laws. In Houston, Texas, pastors' sermons, notes, and correspondence were subpoenaed by that city's openly lesbian mayor. The threat is real. Now, who's making the threats and why? What are the consequences if the the, uh, tax-exempt status is lost? What services will no longer be provided by religious organizations if resources have to be used to pay additional taxes? To help answer these questions, Free to be Faithful has two guests. Roger Servino oversees the Heritage Foundation's DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society, and Kevin Terrio is vice president of Alliance Defending Freedom's Center for Life. Listeners are invited to ask questions by telephone at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area or 800-730-2727 anywhere in North America. Questions or comments may be submitted by email at publicsquare at kfuo.org. I'd like to start this off by welcoming our guests, and first of all, I'd like to speak to Mr. Terrio. Mr. Terrio, welcome, and tell me a little bit about yourself. Thanks very much, Kip. It's great being here today. Um, I serve as one of the attorneys at Alliance Defending Freedom, where we provide free legal services to folks who um, are attempting to defend their religious liberty, defend life, and uh, defend the family. And as part of that, we work with a lot of churches and make sure that they are free um, to uh, spread the gospel, and that's one of our, our core missions here at ADF, is keeping the doors open for the spread of the gospel. Mr. Severino, you are with the Heritage Foundation, which is a secular, or at least a nonpartisan organization. Uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself, sir? Sure, glad to be on. The Heritage Foundation is a think tank, and we do public policy analysis. And I'm a former attorney at the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, and at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. I'm still an attorney, but now I'm at a think tank, uh, the DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society. We focus on life, marriage, and religious liberty um, in the public square. And we think that people's right to free exercise, is, as enshrined in our Constitution, deserves to be protected, and that government should not be discriminated against people of faith 
in the wake of the Obergefell decision. Mr. Severino, I'd like to go into that a little bit. First of all, what is the tradition in this country about the status of religious institutions regarding the regarding taxation? And secondly, this threat, how is it developing? Well, the tradition is hands-off. Um, the state grew up in conjunction with the church, and in the West we have a separation of church and state. Rightly understood means that the state does not get involved in the affairs of the church, does not try to control it, and certainly doesn't try to destroy it. The power to tax, as is known in law, is the power to destroy. Um, the more you tax, the more you control. And you could get to a point where taxation is so excessive that the organization will cease to function and cease to exist, and has deep church-state implications, uh, which shows in our history that the government has left the church alone. And in fact, in the beginning, um, there was actually direct funding of the church through taxation, and not actually taxation of the church itself. Um, and when you go through to the 1950s, the growth of the regulatory state was such that it needed more revenues. Um, they passed a constitutional amendment for federal taxation in 1913, and then there was the Johnson Amendment in the 50s um, by Senator Lyndon Johnson, who wanted to punish nonprofits that he found troublesome because they were involved in politics. And in that, he swept in churches on a restriction where they could not get involved in politics or risk losing their tax-exempt status. So this whole notion that churches don't belong in politics goes back to a spat between Lyndon B. Johnson and um, political enemies. It had nothing to do with the notion of separation of church and state. Uh, Mr. Terrio, uh, question for you, sir. We hear the uh, the, tech, the fair share argument and the uh, and the subsidization of religion argument. Now, my understanding is tax exemption simply is that it is not taxed. Subsidizing is actually giving tax monies to an organization. I'm thinking specifically, for example, of Planned Parenthood, that not only is tax exempt but receives a third of their budget from governmental sources, and they, in turn, of course, use their resources to donate to political candidates and to political causes. We don't do this in the churches. Is this a correct? Is this a correct analysis? I think so. I think one of the things that underlies the assumption that uh, and the assertion that uh, that uh, the churches ought to pay their fair share is that an exemption um, from taxes means the government really owns everything, all the money, and um, if the government lets you keep some, then the government is doing you a favor. And that is completely contrary to way to the way that we see ownership of property, not only in the uh, for uh, churches but for private individuals too. So, um, not all the money is the government's, and what they allow you to keep um, is is a a benefit in some how to a subsidy to you. Um, subsidy is money actually going to the church, and of course, um, that's not that's not what's happening here. the The best way to not establish a church is to leave it alone. And, and, and by taxing it, um, then that entangles the government with the church's affairs. Um, they get into determining, okay, what should you tax? Does the church really have any income um, that can be taxed? Um, is, as far as local taxes go when it comes to property tax, um, is, the, is the church providing a benefit to the community that's greater than um, any kind of tax that would be levied uh, upon it. In fact, there was a study done in Philadelphia where a church was determined, uh, they found its annual contribution to the uh, community was uh, in excess of $6 million. Uh, and by taxing it, that just takes away money that they would be using 
to uh, do food banks, provide clothing, uh, counseling, all the things, all the many benefits that the church provides to the community. I actually read that study. It turned out that the church's assessed property value was something like, in, had they paid taxes, it would have been something like $600,000. And the return to investment to the community was tenfold what they would have got in straight tax dollars. Churches right. provide many, many services to community, uh, material services as well. Obviously, they're the spiritual ones. We help, we help set people on the right path. Uh, crime rates decrease in areas where there's a lot of religion. And, of course, we do things like working with uh, released prisoners. But above, over and above that, we do disaster relief. We do food banks. We do medical mercy missions. We help with clinics. We do many, many things that government cannot or will not do. These would all be in danger if we lose this tax-exempt status. Uh, Mr. Severino, can you comment on that? Am I uh, correct in that? That's absolutely right. A civil society depends on people of faith and institutions of faith. And so I worked as a, a, a government employee, and, and I know that people who operate out of faith and conviction, as opposed to from a centralized bureaucracy, often do the job more effectively. And that's where the nonprofit sector comes in. And that's why uh, one of the reasons why they're tax-exempt is because they offer such a wonderful service to the public that's more effective and would save the government money. But what's going on here um, is an actual ideological agenda. Institutions of faith are being targeted for having their tax exemptions revoked because of their beliefs, not because they're not good at what they do, um, but in part because they're so good at it. They have such a strong influence on society, yet they do not want to give up their religious identity. Their religious identity is what drives them to do acts of mercy and kindness, um, but that's grounded on an entire philosophy, an entire theology, an entire history. So there are some elements of, of society that, that want to get the social services, but want to also squelch the theology because they disagree with it, especially on issues like same-sex marriage or gender identity, bathroom access, things like that. Um, and it's these points of tensions where people, especially on the cultural left, and now big business, unfortunately, are saying, um, you are not welcome. We, we like some of your services, but we don't like your beliefs, and we actually prefer you to go out of business and stop doing the services um, so long as we see your beliefs squelched, silenced, and shamed. And that's really what's going on here. The push to revoke tax-exempt status of religious institutions is, is a struggle that's not about services, but about scoring points and, and making one view of human flourishing and human sexuality become the dominant view such that everybody else must come along or be punished. And yet the Missouri Synod, along with our brothers in Christ, say the Catholic Church or the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, many, many of them, including, uh, let, us, let us go also to the uh, Muslims, let us go to the uh, Jewish faith, have many of the same beliefs. For example, life begins at conception. For example, marriage belongs to a man and a woman. I think we are talking about the majority of the people of faith in this country who probably make up the overwhelming majority of the people of this country. And somehow these beliefs that we have had since the beginning of the country, since really the beginning of, of religion, are now finding themselves out of favor and under attack. Why is this happening? It, it goes down to discrimination. When you, when you let government have all the power, they get to choose the winners and losers, and they are now discriminating against people of faith. Um, that's the way it's going now. That's where the discrimination is coming from, which is why you need, you need things like the First Amendment Defense Act, which is a bill currently in Congress um, that protects religious institutions and their identity when it comes to marriage so they won't lose their tax-exempt status, won't be stripped of contracts 
grants or accreditation. We had Gordon College and now BYU being questioned by their accrediting bodies because of their views about marriage and their conduct policies for their students. The threat being, if you lose accreditation, then you lose your students. You're being, you're being named unworthy to be an educational institution, essentially. Um, when we know there's ed- educational institutions, simply want to pass on knowledge, yet not lose their religious identity. And we, if, in the, if we truly believe in tolerance and diversity, we will have many different religious views, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, um, being true to themselves and passing along their teaching and not being targeted for exclusion by the government. And certainly these beliefs do not harm society. I'm thinking, for example, in our neighboring state of Illinois, there was a Catholic agency that handled adoption. They lost their state accreditation because they refused to adopt children to same-sex couples, only to, uh, to, to uh, heterosexual couples. They actually lost it. These children now are, have lost the service. Well, that's a classic, it's a classic characteristic of a totalitarian um, state is where they use government power to force people to conform to the beliefs and the convictions of the government, whatever those happen to be, whoever's in charge. And when, when you have an a increased size of government, an increased power of government, um, then they have the ability to impose their belief system. And, of course, that's, that's the whole um, basis of the way our um, founders set up our system was to uh, avoid the government having that much power to be able to impose its beliefs on the people. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting and ironic that the people like Americans United for Separation of Church and State scream the loudest when churches uh, is, is say something from the pulpit, for instance, on marriage or, or talk about um, the evils of abortion from, pulpit, uh, from the pulpit and, and candidates who support that and say that they're violating the law, and, and when in fact um, they were established to try to keep government out of the churches, these types of laws like the Johnson Amendment and the attempts to, um, to revoke tax-exempt status for the beliefs of the church actually get the government more involved and more entangled with the church. And um, it's, it's, uh, we are the ones that are defending churches are actually on the side of freedom instead of the people who... Um, in the past have said really the ACLU and folks like that, that they're the ones who are really defending civil rights. Um, they, have, uh, um, they have bowed down to the idea that um, big government is in control and the ends justify the means. If, if what they think is valid, um, they should be able to force you uh, to conform. Mr. Terrio, the ADF has been in the forefront of legal battles in supporting liberty uh, among the religious uh, communities. What is the status now legally? Where do we stand? Are we winning? Are we losing? Are there important cases coming up? I'm thinking specifically now with the absence of Justice Scalia. We've got some right. problems. Yeah, well, there's some very important cases coming up. Um, the court is considering the HHS mandate that requires religious organizations, religious schools, uh, for instance, we represent uh, about seven of those that are before the court right now that are being forced to provide funding for abortion-causing drugs. And the Supreme Court is considering whether they can be forced through penalties um, to provide that. We represent several churches in California that are being forced to cover in their insurance plan um, uh, to cover uh, actual surgical abortion by the uh, by the uh, administration there in California. So um, religious freedom is definitely under attack. And then we have another case that's uh, that the Supreme Court accepted uh, 
agreed to review just recently out of Missouri, um, where a Lutheran church, I believe, um, as part of the Missouri Synod, uh, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but they are um, um, they applied for reimbursement for funding for um, the covering for their uh, for their uh, children's playground, and it's made out of recycled recycled tires. And the state said, "No, you can't do that um, because you're a religious organization." Um, even you know, despite the many benefits um, that the church provides to the community, they say because you're religious, you're ineligible for this program. So Yeah, that was part of the Blaine Amendment, and it was indeed a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, that's Trinity Lutheran, and yes. uh, we've done a number of, sh- of programs on that, we'll be doing some more in the future. Uh, I'd so like I- to uh, remind our listeners, if they have any questions for our guests, or if they want to make comments, if you're in the St. Louis area, our number is area code 314-821-0850. If you're outside the St. Louis area in North America, that number is 800-730-2727. Or you can email us at publicsquare at kfuo.org. I'm going to throw this out to both of you. Where do we go from here? What is the future? We're facing an election year right now. There is a lot at stake. I can't imagine two more different uh, candidates that we're looking at right now, the the front runners on the Republican and the Democrat side, one of these people is going to be leading the country. What's at stake and what's going to happen? Let me start off with two points. One is it just underscores how important the Supreme Court is for the next year. Uh, Merrick Garland, the nominee, uh, the, the pr- proposed appointee from Obama, um, is being blocked and should be stopped because he would be terrible on religious liberty. He's already shown his cards. He voted against the Little Sisters of the Poor. Um, I'm sorry, the Priests for Life, which is companion to the Little Sisters of the Poor case on the HHS mandate. So we need a good, strong constitutionalist, and only the president can appoint a good one. Um, and second, there's a lot of action on, on the states, at the state level right now. So we had Mississippi pass a very strong religious freedom bill, and the left has gone berserk over it. Uh, North Carolina passed a good common sense bathroom privacy and safety protection bill. Unfortunately, Georgia caved, and they dropped their modest religious freedom bill under pressure from big business. And Missouri is considering a religious freedom amendment where the people get to decide uh, whether or not they want to protect religious freedom, to protect the rights of bakers and florists to, to be able to uh, live their lives and, and not be forced to affirm a same-sex wedding celebration and of religious institutions to be free to keep their own personnel policies intact so they could have their teachers pass along the faith according to their beliefs to the next generation. And these, are the, these bills are critically important. They deserve support. And the big businesses that are, that are hypocritically, I might add, opposing them, people need to know that where their dollars are going to. They could vote at the ballot box, but they could also vote with their dollars, and they need to be smart consumers to say, I'm not going to fund these organizations. Uh, Apple, Salesforce, PayPal, who are attacking religious freedom, yet are being hypocritical in, in their conduct in other countries where they don't respect the, the rights that they say they're fighting for. Well, for example, um, Apple and I think Starbucks have uh, businesses in uh, Qatar and in the Arab, throughout the uh, Arabian Peninsula. Right. Where same-sex conduct is criminalized. They could be, Apple employees could be thrown in jail for 14 years, yet yeah. Apple's not pulling out of there um, because apparently the profits are too good but they're attacking North Carolina and and Mississippi uh, where where freedom is allowed. And it's really just locking in the status quo and protecting the same belief that President Obama had as recently as 2012, that marriage is a union of one man and one woman, and that deserves respect. 
And I believe Hillary Clinton also had that same view, and that has changed her view as well. Yeah, it's important to remember that this is religious liberty. This 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 whole thing about you know Obergefell's effect and the changing of the uh, the attempt to change marriage. Excuse me, is just the the current issue that we're talking about now. The overarching issue of religious liberty um, affects everybody, whether it's um, whether you're a liberal or a conservative. Um, but you know, the bottom line is if the government is able to put pressure on you to change your religious convictions, not allow you uh, to participate in the economy if you um, hold a belief that is contrary to their view on marriage and on life um, and whatever next comes down the pike, then they have ultimate control. And that, that, uh, that religious liberty will rise and fall with who gets elected instead of being protected by the Constitution, which is way, the way the Founding Fathers designed it. So, so people need to continue to take a stand when they have their religious liberty restricted and make sure that they understand that, that the Constitution protects religious liberty broadly for everybody, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. And the more than we can say that and encourage our government officials, our legislators, locally and uh, nationally, um, to enact laws to protect that, I think uh, we're going to, uh, we can see this thing turned around. One thing that, uh, that I find contradictory and, uh, frankly, appalling, uh, take, for example, the issue of same-sex marriage. Uh, again, as I've stated, the Missouri Senate does not support same-sex marriage. But we're not trying to prevent people from going to a civil, to a civil ceremony. We're not trying to prevent people from going to an Episcopal or, or a Universalist church and having it sanctioned there. We're simply saying, we will not sanction that marriage here. But the other side seems to say, well, we're going to force you to celebrate who and what we are, not tolerate, which is part of this country, but actually celebrate and approve of what we are. I don't understand this contradiction. Yeah, it's interesting. You see it play out um, in many of our clients that we're representing right now. For instance, Baronel Stutzman, a florist in Spokane, Washington, who uh, served a gay couple for years and uh, provided floral uh, designs for them on a regular basis, was friends with them. Um, but when they asked her to participate in their uh, religious marriage ceremony, she said she couldn't do that because that would violate her religious convictions. She was willing to serve them. She just couldn't participate in a religious ceremony. And, of course, um, not only did the ACLU sue her, but the Attorney General of the state of Washington came down on her really hard, and and, uh, that case is on appeal before um, the Supreme Court uh, of Washington right now. But those are the kinds of situations where people of faith need to make a stand and need to be able to do so in love, like Baronell has done, and understanding that, hey, what we, when we are acting on our faith, we're not doing anything um, out of hate. Um, we are doing it um, as an expression of our convictions. And when you force, if you are able to force me to participate in your religious ceremony, then others can force you to do the same. All right, Stephen Morris, it's the... The the thing is where you say okay fine I'm not going to I will not celebrate your your uh, your marriage but it's up to you you have it your way where their right. their view seems to be if you don't we're going to put you out of business yeah and the Klein family in Oregon they were bakers they were sued to the tune of one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars and so there are real victims here real folks that are suffering because of their faith and it is really just limited to the marriage issue that's what's what's kicking all of this off, it is not about denying services 
nothing broad-based, any of these protections that we see at the state level, very tailored to small businesses only in the wedding context and only in the context of a wedding ceremony itself and a wedding celebration. You wouldn't force a vegetarian restaurant to serve meat. That's not discriminating against meat eaters, though. (laughs) That is simply they're following their own conscience. So when you see Bruce Springsteen, who denies his services to the entire state of North Carolina, he's exercising his conscience, but the hypocrisy is he's doing it because he's objecting to other people exercising their conscience. And other people saying, well, in our religious institutions, um, bathrooms are for men and and not for women, and bathrooms for women aren't allowed for men. And those sort of common sense judgments, many of which are based on theology, many of which are based on safety and privacy. Um, most people understand that there should be room for disagreement here, and the government doesn't come in and say, nope, we're going to impose one rule for everybody, and the rule is going to be this new gender ideology, uh, which people aren't willing to accept. Yeah, in the North Carolina case, I, I would make a note that although they lost Bruce Springsteen, uh, they got Charlie Daniels to say, oh yeah, I'm going to go there, I'm going to perform all over because of this. Personally, I think it was a pretty good trade. <laughs> and just goes to show, I would agree with you. There should be, instead of boycotts, there need to be counter boycotts. Oh yeah. People should, who believe in freedom and don't want government on everyone's backs to go to these states, have a vacation in Mississippi, take conferences there, especially religious institutions who care about this, they show the support that um, we will also vote with our dollars to push back. And that's the best way to stand up to a bully. Well, here in the St. Louis area, for example, we have a a strong presence of Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. And they have come under attack from the secularist and the uh, LBGTQ community. But the population around here is supportive of them. Their business has been booming since the publicity that they received. We've got about one final minute here. Uh, gentlemen, what, is, what would you say is uh, going to be happening? What's our wrap-up here? Mr. Terrio, you first. Well, I think one of the things that people need to do is get um, educated. And uh, the Heritage has a great website. Uh, Alliance Defending Freedom has a great website. Go and, and, and find out what the issues are and, and what you can do to take steps to stand for religious liberty because it's really going to come down. All politics is uh, at the local level. And, um, and certainly the gospel is spread at the local level. And I would encourage people to get informed, get educated, get motivated, and then do something about it. And when their rights are restricted, contact uh, organizations like Heritage and Alliance Defending Freedom. Let us know, and we will help you. Um, We can represent you in court. We can represent you in the courtroom of public opinion and make sure that your religious liberty is protected, not only for you, but for our future. I want to thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, You've been listening to... Free to be faithful presentation at the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to be faithful airs the third Monday of every month. Now, today's guests were Roger Servino of the Heritage Foundation and uh, Kevin uh, Terrio of the Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessing.